Good evening. My name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our weekly webcast for consciousness and culture uh, today in our international English language edition. I am happy to have here with me, live from Hungary, Akota Eva Husa. Akota, you are here with us in uh, the studio. Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Great to hear you. Thank you. Thank you for joining joining us here in Radio Evolve. The pleasure and the excitement is mine. Yes, to to be invited. I really look forward to our dialogue. Yes, I do very much so. If I may, some words uh, say some words about you. You co-founded Learning Organizations for Sustainability, Seoul, Hungary. Uh, you are um, trained and uh, uh, you developed many forms of large group uh, presencing, intercultural dialogue. You worked with, worked and studied with people like Juanita Braun, Peter Senge, Otto Schramer. Right now you're focusing on soul transformation through social healing. And you are very interested and very engaged in cultural healing and also the situation in Europe, uh, the situation uh, and the history of the European soul. May I say that your experience as a Hungarian who lived in many parts of the world, who grew up in a country that at that time was behind the Iron Curtain, who lived for a long time in London, one of the main hubs of our global neoliberal society, who spent times in uh, the United States, that this multicultural um, life that you have been living and are living is partly uh, informing your perspective on our European culture, on our world culture, on the wounds that we have, and also on how we can work to heal these wounds. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, yes, I believe that uh, it was quite quite long time ago, actually maybe the first time in 88, or in 80, 1980 in Norway, and then after that in 88, And then in 95, that I really became aware of um, some of these subtleties, you know, that all of us consider ourselves as Europeans. And yet, I bit by bit had to realize that the perception, the way we look at ourselves and Europe is really different. And maybe aspects of that difference is... Uh, is uh, performing some of the difficulties we are struggling with now uh, in Europe, like in many other parts of the world, but probably um, essentially rooted in the European understanding of relating to the world. When you talk about European understanding and European relating to the world, Uh, what do you have particular in mind here? 
Um, well, then maybe I've got two or three stories of the years I mentioned. Yeah. Do we, do we have time for that? Absolutely. Just about two weeks ago, I visited a friend of mine in Spain, although she is from Norway and she lives in Norway, but the family has a summer house. And I really felt so stressed and exhausted and felt blessed to be able to stay over there with her. And so we recalled some of our memories because I met her in Hungary in 74. Mm -hmm. She came over uh, to an, maybe the first international archaeological camp. And she was just so brave to come across behind and beyond the Iron Curtain. Mm-hmm. But up until then, I was not so much aware of this, this differentiation. And Bente, this friend of mine, uh, did not uh, have any reference to that difference either. A year later, I went to visit her. And after that, I fell in love with Norwegian. So I took it up as a subject at the university, apart from literature and arts and English. And then in 1980, I went to the summer school. And it was interesting because this time in Spain, an English-Scottish woman also came, whom I spent time with at the summer school. So it's like almost 40 years we met again. And she remembered also this incident, which I remembered so much, that there there were two people from behind, or a few Hungarians and one person from the Soviet Union those days, from behind the Iron Curtain. And this woman from Moscow was interrogated, I could say, by many of the students, most of them Americans, I must admit, mm-hmm. about the situation in the Soviet Union and especially fully and completely blamed for what had happened in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. you know, of the Soviet, Soviet armies occupying Afghanistan. Those days, probably the Americans were not aware of what will happen to Afghanistan decades after. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, as they were really interrogate, interrogating her, I felt a very interesting oneness with this woman. And you might say it might be of a different reason, maybe just to to take side on the side of the the victim, you know. Mm-hmm. But for me then, it was that, oh, maybe perhaps I also belong to Eastern Europe. I never had this identity, but in the mirror of the way they were treating this woman and me feeling for this woman made me realize that I have some interesting feelings of belonging to a world which doesn't seem to be understood exactly the same way. And that happened later on as well in 88 in London when I was going to the University of Human Potential Research uh, at Surrey uh, that we went to to see this film The Unbearable Lightness of of, uh, Being which is a Czech film you know of Milan Kundera but Actually, sitting in a cinema far away from Hungary, in London, as you said, in the hub of the world, in a sense, and watching that film, I was kind of thrown back to my own home country. And I said to myself, golly, I would never have thought that there is so much similarity 
between that country and our country. Because for us, these countries mm-hmm. were very distinctive. Again, I felt a sense of oneness. I feel very much at home in England. So that's a different kind of oneness. It's, I could say it's probably not cultural, but something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, in 95, when I was in Ghana at a big conference or event, and there were only three women of non-African background, mm-hmm. one from South Africa, but a, a white person, one from America, United States, and me. And then again, I realized that that's very interesting. And that's the very interesting that I felt on a visceral level closer to the people in Ghana than to those two friends, I would say, from America, from the States and from South Africa. So this was the beginning of me trying to really think about what is it, what happens, what, how does this relate to culture, our background, experiences, You know, because for a long time, I think, for example, Central Eastern Europeans, we always identified with Europe. Mm-hmm. But just after the transition in the early 90s, there was only one slogan all the time from from the international news as well as the Hungarian news. We have to catch up in order to belong to Europe, to belong to Europe. But actually, the what they wanted to say is to belong to the European Union Alliance, if I can put it like that. But we always use this expression, belong to Europe, meaning when we want to mean only European Union. And so it creates a a cognitive disturbance and something unsettling on the feeling realm, I think. That was the beginning of Mm. my kind of personal inquiry into Mm. the truth. When I listen to you, um, it really uh, brings me very much to a perception about the the pluralistic nature of our world. Mm. And we started also to talk about and mention what we call the European perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I may call it also the European-American perspective. And wh- why I call it this way, because... Um, Interesting enough, also growing up in the place quite close to your place in Austria, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, maybe 100 kilometers apart or maybe 200, whatever, uh, really close, but being uh, part of the West uh, right. in, 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 in some way uh, and experiencing the world, um, of course, to some degree, uh, or one of us is aware that the world has different cultures, different backgrounds, but there was always a very clear center uh, and a very clear reference point, which I would call the European Enlightenment, the European history, uh, the uh, European Enlightenment values, which I all value very much, as being basically the North Star of reality. And it seems that um, we are living in a time where something is changing, where we, mm. where we are not, uh, it's not so clear anymore that the North Star is shining. 
because mm. we are, uh, and th this is maybe really a quite significant change in times that we are living, that uh, the fact that uh, there is not only this one culture that somehow emerged 500 years ago in Europe that developed all these positive values of enlightenment and science and uh, simultaneously with it also colonialism and all that. It's basically one history that this kind of perspective also spread over the world, uh, literally conquered the world mm -hmm. and was seen uh, from um, many uh, uh, people around the world for a long time as being something what the human future is about and we are not so sure anymore. Absolutely, yeah. And you are in an interesting position because somehow you were very close to that center uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Hungary was an integral part of uh, the intellectual development of, uh, of, the Euro of the European history. But somehow when you, when you speak about at uh, the time uh, of the, uh, of the iron curtain your your, your feelings with the czech uh, nation even with this uh, people from the soviet union in particular when you just told before about your feeling closer to the people in ghana mm -hmm. it seems that uh, people like you have a stronger recognition that um uh, this time where um Basically, there's one paradigm that is uh, uh, dominating our, our world identity is changing to something new. And I really don't want to put down uh, the European and American culture no, and, yeah. and everything. I really, I, and honor it very much. But it seems that uh, people who come from other places like you, and it's interesting enough that is, these people don't have to come from China. They don't have to come from Africa. It's also central Europe, like Hung Hungary, that you feel and see the world different and are aware of different things that maybe are, is, is maybe also a big awareness of the shadow sides of this reality that kind of emerged in the last 500 years. My question is, is that so? And what do you think uh, is the contribution of a perspective that, uh, that you are sharing here to our uh, shared future as humanity that we uh, also want to create together? I, I resonate very much with what you say. And um, just yesterday morning, I was saying to to my colleague that on my uh, morning walk with the dog, I, I reflected a little bit on the present situation in Hungary. And um, what was very interesting that I was... Um, I was noticing in my own inner, uh, how to say, sens sensory capacity, mm -hmm. that something is slowly shifting and changing in me. And it's related to what you are saying. Uh, at the moment in Hungary and in the world, in many other countries, and I think we, you did talk about it earlier, there seems to be this polarization, as you described the polarization of of the belief system in in the past 300 years of enlightenment values etc etc and at the same time some people and groups of people moving and emerging as an other polarity with almost similar force and strength as well mm -hmm. and i was wondering listening to my inner 
sensors. I really would love to really understand deeply what is happening or what is emerging well beyond that, this perceivable polarity. That, as you say, something is really moving out of our consciousness and as if something else were slowly wanting to find its way. And in that personal pondering, what came up was that, yes, if I really listen to a lot of the words and talks and people in Hungary, for example, trying to talk about, you know, liberalism as a curse word almost, mm-hmm. even liberal democracy is absolutely a curse word, mm-hmm. that what is it they are really saying? And one of the things that are, they are saying is very similar to what you, are try- you were formulating now that somehow with enlightenment, everything else was pushed out of the way. But it doesn't mean that it all disappeared. It was just not seen, not heard, not listened to, not understood. And there was a major force around that. And actually, with the birth of enlightenment, we know that Paris and France was not a peaceful emergence of a new reality, but Mm -hmm. it was very strong and very, very traumatic in a way mm-hmm. historically and it what remind it reminded me of was very similar to the school system that the school system at the moment in the past two three hundred years developed an approach where in the old Alice Bailey seven ray um, terminology we would say a fifth ray analytical strongly mental educational system and anybody who doesn't fit in that energetic pattern or mindset basically feels a loser in the school system. They are losers because only the ones who can really memorize lots of information, who can use their mind are the ones who shine out. And the others are kind of, you know, appreciated, heard, cares. As we know, there is a lot of talk about that. And I realize that that's what it's, but that's what is happening nowadays. That there is the strong force in the educational system as well, so that people can really experience their wholeness, the multi-intellectual side of their capacities, on many other aspects of who they are. And that's exactly the same which I hear in Hungary at the moment. There is a lot of hatred or uh, antagonism against. Western European understanding, even against enlightenment. Some people walk, go around the country and really talk about the fact that all what we are suffering from nowadays began in the enlightenment period because they really broke away from the old traditional, not social system, but value system. And uh, some people say in Hungary, the generative patterns of the created world are not being appreciated and uh, taken into account. And every source of creation seems to be coming out of the human will and the human ratio rather than tuning into the larger cosmic collective laws. And it seems that 
people resonate with that. That's the interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Either because they had been pushed aside so much in country, in, in factories, in the whole operations of the, of the capitalist um, mainstream uh, economy, in organizations, in the political running of a country, etc., etc. That's very important. And even what used to be very open and tolerant and acceptive and going for diversity, you know, as liberal values, they seem to express an intolerance in anything that wants to bring mm. in a, another perspective. Mm. Let, let, let me try to understand this. Mm -hmm. And, and let, let me also talk about Hungary. It, because um, the first time I, I heard about uh, this Hungarian concept about illiberal democracy that uh, uh, your Prime Minister Orban is, is promoting, I took it as a joke. Mm -hmm. I really took it as a uh, That basically somebody uh, uh, is directly taking a position. Uh, he's saying, no, no, I'm a Democrat, but I'm an illiberal Democrat. And uh, I, th I thought, um, uh, I, I could not really relate to it. I, I, f I find it uh, mm -hmm. partly mm -hmm. amusing, uh, partly just stupid. And I just couldn't understand uh, mm -hmm. why this is something that really uh, can make you in politics successful. Mm. Now, many years later, I'm even more amazed to see mm -hmm. that this, what I didn't take serious at all, seems to be, not only in Hungary, but let's talk about Hungary, uh, a strong sentiment that is held in the nation's soul and is responding to something which is really uh, a strong reaction against um, what Europe stands for. Uh, of liberal democracy, uh, the open society, um, rational values, um, all, all that that uh, for, for many of us uh, really uh, equals uh, human rights, uh, equals well, what our ideals are about, what, what we think a good life is about. And all of a sudden it seems that people find this um, being what the evil is about. Uh, uh, and for Western Europeans, uh, this, uh, at least for a long time, seemed to be uh, really a kind of a, a strange concept. But nowadays, you not even can say that because you see that uh, from from Brexit to the AfD in Germany to the, uh, the Front National in, Fr in France, this is a sentiment uh, that um, is is just uh, very much alive and. Hungary seems to be one of the places where it really showed first and has a strong foundation. And one can say the usual things about it. It's just reactionary, people don't like progress, but whatever, that doesn't really explain it. And well, someone like you who really has seen the world, who also has seen what places like London are about, what uh, kind of liberal democracy is about. How would you describe uh, the, uh, the, the strength that this uh, holds in the soul of so many people right now? First of all, in 88, when I was there for about nine months in England, 
actually that was the time when I was the first time when I came across, you know, through a friend of mine about the whole unemployment system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have unemployment those days as such. And I even had to line up, you know, for her because she was on one of the Indonesian islands while I lined up for her so that she could get her unemployment benefit. I thought, well, that's a very strange system. And um, late, I also started to hear news about the fact that the southern part of UK moved into the service industry and with the service industry, they are really conquering the world. Whereas the, the traditional so-called black country of, of the UK is moving more and more into the unemployment and into the black blackness, you know, of their country. Less, fewer and fewer work, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, that was quite new as a thought those days. So when we talk about London, then I think London is very different, you know. London, even Samuel Johnson said hundreds of years ago, 200 years ago or so, that London is a unique country, you know, you cannot compare it. But in the UK, you could also see already in the late 80s, this growing gap in the society. And um, that's just a tiny thing. And then I heard people talking about that on the, on BBC that our role will be to develop a real well-created good inquiry, how people in this growing service industry will be able to find other pastime activities because they cannot just be left on the road, on the side of the road, you know, and I don't think much has happened about that, although 40 years passed. And that we are also experiencing the same dilemma. And I keep hearing again the dilemma with this industry 4.0 and, you know, the digital age and the robots. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same thing. So in a sense, what I want to say is that I think we have a very strange perception about us as human beings, who we are, and what is it our relationship with planet Earth and why are we on planet Earth and why are we as humans together as a collective and what purpose, what reason or what spiritual or soul-based values do we hold? And then the last sentence I want to say is that we were in the old times always accused of being strongly materialistic, you know, because socialism, as we called it, was an atheistic paradigm, based on an atheistic paradigm. And there was humanism as part of it, but not spiritual values, mm-hmm. even though there was Christianity in Hungary at least, and those who wanted, they could practice their their belief, but maybe they they had to choose a more constrained social activity or service or work profession. But... In actual fact, I had to realize that this economy which we have pursued in the past centuries is since in the Enlightenment basically is more materialistic than anything else. So coming back to your thinking, 
what seems to be, and I am not saying is true, but it seems to work for many people that, for example, Orban Victor and some others emphasize the fact and use it as a counter argument towards EU Brussels mm-hmm. that they do not know what Christian values really are. The West forgot about its Christian roots. By this, they want to come back to the people here at home and cultivate their perception that there is soul and spirit and Christianity and through Christianity and soul-related value system, maybe we hold something from the past which is long time lost in the West. And this is how the polarity is very often put on the table. Of course, we cannot generalize. (laughs) I mean, what I experienced in the past 30 years in Hungary, definitely for the so-called elite talks about how money-minded and material-minded they were. And yet, I I, I still think that something, maybe because it's a more traditional society, Mm-hmm. Something is left. It's it's nothing to do with communism. It's a long time before that. Something is left here more alive on the on the soul level of how we perceive our mission in the world, mm-hmm. and that is uh, encapsulated in some of these nation statements. When you said the ne- the nation's soul. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that you said soul as well. So it's not nationalism in in the way, I think, which is emerging now, but the nation as a collective soul entity. Uh, Can I bring in the Alice Bailey understanding of metaphysics? Sure. uh, uh, Bailey or the Tibetan always talks about from the collective point of view that nations are like human beings. They have a personality and they have a sole purpose. And the question is whether these nations in the past centuries could fully live out their sole purpose. And I believe they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the nationality aspect, which is always getting into polarization and power over kind of games, really, as you mentioned, conquered aspects of the globe, peoples, nations, who could not experience their fullness as a personality. Hmm. So neither the personality nor the inner drive for the soul, the nation's soul, to express itself had enough opportunity. Mm. Because it seems, and this is my last thought here, it seems that we are, it does seem that we are moving into a new era, a new understanding and a new global shift. You know, the Western world always talks about that for about 30 years minimum or longer. But even here, you see that in tiny little new initiatives, everything all around. It seems that there is a the awakening of the national soul all over the world. Now it's our responsibility how we respond to that. 
whether we respond on the personality level, because then it, we are doomed to fight and struggle mm-hmm. and, and conflicts, or whether we really understand on a different collective level of this, of this um, frequency, which mm-hmm. we would call the, the soul of a nation. Mm-hmm. And this is what the, we worked on last May, I remember in Hungary at a collective constellation work. Hmm. Interesting, listening to you um, and uh, listening to you describing also uh, your experience with Western Europe, your experience also with uh, the social divide in uh, in the UK and um, the the responses that you had and also the responses that um, nations like uh, Hungary had. There's, there's, There's one image that really comes to me. It is that what we call materialism, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you brought this in when you said uh, you, uh, meaning uh, uh, the communist nations, were accused of being materialist, mm-hmm. uh, socialist materialist. And of course, uh, n- nobody really can deny that our Western culture uh, has a very materialist leaning, that basically everything is uh, oriented in an economic understanding of efficiency, of a technological advantage, uh, that uh, this, this kind of focus point has no focus anything that you can ca- call soul. Mm. And what seems to happen right now in the different ways, in some ways maybe scary and uh, maybe also dangerous, or, uh, 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 and some maybe more pro- uh, promising and more open, but what, what I feel, there's something like a re-emergence of a certain sphere that you can call the soul sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, call it a spiritual revival, call it wh- uh, wh- whatever, but there seems to be a thirst that mm-hmm. from our development, uh, where, where we went as a global culture in our enlightenment and our re- rational understanding of what the world is, uh, something seems to hit a wall and that the system also... Um, on one hand, it's, it's very successful. It still creates a lot of uh, material wealth. On the other, it's, it's creating a, a, a real divide, and everyone knows that uh, there's a lot hanging uh, economically. Or there's a crisis, uh, a debt crisis hanging over us. We don't know how it will develop. We all know that there's a climate crisis hanging over us. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and it seems that in many ways... Uh, and in very different regions of the world, you can you can go to India. The, the way Modi respo- re- responds to the situation in India, and I'm not necessarily a fan of what's happening there, but it has to do with this new kind of search of soul for soul. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, it, I I believe that it's strongly there. I believe it's really emerging, emerging, almost pushing itself up. And before coming to our conversation i was just browsing through a few thoughts uh, from jung about mm-hmm. the shadow you know and the collective and and i and and i found a sentence which i think belongs here so that before we can move on on a collective level mm-hmm. to this other emergent dimension whatever mm-hmm. that will be you know in its form it seems that we have to make this major step from Blaming the external circumstances, blaming the other, whoever the other is, Mm -hmm. because he says that 
actually it's a self-deception because the problem is that we are sitting on the edge of a volcano and the volcano may well explode, but not out there, but in us. And it would not explode if it had not been there. And I believe that we are at the moment, because it's the collective soul that wants to emerge, we have to see that all these aspects of our society, which seems to emerge from the past as a shadow, you know, or a ghost, this ghost is really knocking at our door and says, I am there in you. Just see me. Perhaps you push me away too much. So what is this collective soul, this ghost that you're talking about? What are you seeing here? Um, the very first one was, again, it's personal. You know, personal experiences make you ponder and reflect. And then mm -hmm. maybe some thoughts come into your mind and then you start reading also, etc. It was again in 1992. 92, I was invited to the States. This is when I came across later on the Dialogue Project where I met, you know, Juanita Brown and Peter Zenge and others. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then there, in a community, they took me to, a, I asked to be taken to an American Indian res reserve reservation. Because I had read so much about that, you know, as a child, etc., etc., And there I was. And I was taken there. <clears throat> and again, what happened was that my heart just broke. I mean, it really broke. I was crying for days, out or inside. And it also reminded me of some aspects of Eastern Europe so much. Later on, in 94, six or something, I was in New Zealand and I had the opportunity to be with the Maoris. Mm -hmm. And again, my heart was breaking then. Mm -hmm. And I felt something of a different quality, which is not heard, not seen, pushed aside. And so back to your question, the last experience was about 10 years ago when I worked in northeast of Hungary, the first time really immer uh, dived into the reality of Hungarian gypsy communities, how they live, how they struggle, mm -hmm. how they are perceived in a village and not only through media or this or that. That's when the first time this sentence came into my mind that this is the shadow of Europe. And by shadow, I didn't want to mean dark in a sense, mm -hmm. but how we push something aside, a kind of a quality which sometimes you can still spot in the life and living of the gypsy communities. You know, they have been living here for 800 mm -hmm. years. So what is and, this? Uh, and oh, oh, oh. Some thoughts I was thinking, the sense of freedom, okay. the sense of timelessness, mm -hmm. the sense of not really being hooked into the future, Mm -hmm. So in that sense, many of them are not goal-oriented. I wouldn't say that it is the gypsy communities. Mm -hmm. But I would say that these are qualities which were pushed onto them or projected onto them, okay? Because mm -hmm. probably we didn't want to own it in our culture. Mm 
mm-hmm. developing culture of the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. So they were just landed on them who came from far afar, you know, we didn't really know them. They were pushed outside the, the walls of the cities, kind of some bits and pieces were given to them, but basically we're not part of who we are, whatever that is. And that's when I first time realized that for the European identity, it would be extremely important to, to bring back and to inquire into this shadowy side of our way existing in the world. And so that's one aspect. And I believe that we jumped too much with the Enlightenment and moved into this internationalism and forgot about the national identities mm-hmm. of a lot of people who, just the same way, for example, the Eastern European countries, mm-hmm. basically after the Second World War, were pushed and forced into this international, global identity. You know, mm-hmm. we were singing all those songs, etc., etc., etc. So again, what still could not have opportunity to lived out, to be lived out was just pushed aside. Yeah. And I think the Western, not I wouldn't say everybody at all, but maybe the mainstream economic system created an ideology which mm-hmm. allowed people to push aside their local identity, mm-hmm. except for the Irish people. These are the only people where I, on a more collective level, mm-hmm. uh, since the 80s, I came across with this strong identity. But they had been also pushed aside. Mm-hmm. You know. may, may I come back, may I come back uh, to what you said about uh, uh, the, the, the Roma and the Sinti, uh, the uh, communities, that... Basically, you, you are saying, saying something that I find quite outrageous uh, and I haven't heard it before. You, to, to some degree, you are saying we are creating them as the gypsies uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a way that they hold something in, in, yeah. in, 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 in their culture that we uh, push aside in our enlightened European identity so that they... That's at least how I hear you. They can become the other, mm-hmm. uh, and, and 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 this the, the relationship in, in that relationship, the relationship between us and communities, uh, like the communities that we call them, the gypsies, and uh, it can be all the Aborigines in 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 in, in Australia or the the Maoris in, in New Zealand or whatever. That there is an, an otherness that we create that has more to do with us and the. Uh, the identity of the last five or three hundred years, that basically what you were also describing before what is happening, what is happening with Orban, what you, what you were describing also of the religious, uh, partly uh, very right-wing development, is also a, um, a, a kind of a revolt of pressed away parts of our own soul that mm. maybe also come up in a very unhealthy way. Absolutely. I think so. I think so. And <clears throat> the funny thing is, of course, no wonder, because, and I, I think there's no blame about it. I, <clears throat> and this thinking, what I'm saying now is coming from this, my understanding of the, of the metaphysics of Alice Bailey's path. Mm-hmm. That actually, yes, the enlightenment, which you start, we started our conversation with, did bring in, I don't know how much enlightenment, 
but definitely brought in the power of logos et ratio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everything needs to be explained. Everything needs to be outlined on the level of the cognitive mind. And the rational mind needs to be educated. And I think that's very beautiful because actually this is what I learned, that if the collective, the mind of the collective gets cultivated and a soul level can be seen and perceived for all of us. So I think it was a very necessary, important movement. But at the moment, like a month uh, in November, we always organize here in Hungary something, the National Sustainability Summit. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was the one who originated the idea, but I had nothing to do with making it happen. Mm-hmm. But it's going on for 15 years or 10 years now. And the thing is that uh, listen to the talks again. And as I came out of, you know, of the 20 minute talk, one after the other, one after the other, this time I said to a friend of mine, it's mind blowing. It's been going on for 10 years, the same rational argument and charts and drafts and graphs and everything, you know, on the PowerPoint projected, projected out, mm-hmm. going back to our projection. But it seems like the most irrational rationalism when somehow we just forgot about everything else and so we don't do not impact the people because we completely ignore or deny something so there is no change very little, little change and those who do the change are not so much interested you know in the rational systems outlined around that but they are more heartfelt people moving into action mm-hmm. and yes that's exactly what i'm saying that at the moment i think this is what we i personally that's what i started i realize now as we talk yesterday i really started to listen to my inner voice saying what is shifting here what is it that i'm not really hearing and even some of the thoughts of my personal action in the following few months made me fearful. Is that me who wants to take that choice? Is that me who wants to move in that direction? Because it was not so familiar to the Agatha I know from the past decades. Mm-hmm. Yes. Looking at the time, uh, we are already slightly yes. over our time. And uh, unfortunately, I think we we have to get to an end here. But I have to say that you opened up something that um, at least allowed me to 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 look into what a European shadow can be in a quite different way. Mm. What 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 you opened up and we used uh, the Sinti and Roma example, I think, just as one. Uh, example uh, uh, just as a symptom of something it's not just about them uh, as as a specific social group but they hold something and the other group holds something that is closer to us closer to our culture Um, and there's as I understand you a a symbiotic relationship between us and our projections Mm. uh, that uh, maybe also show uh, some of the uh, political cultural developments 
that are breaking open right now from a different light. Right. And if, if we just have a close look at that from this perspective, I think uh, maybe some creative solutions can come up there and see also maybe ways how um, the values of enlightenment that I still uh, uh, really yeah. value very much yeah. can be yeah. also kind of integrated with uh, aspects of our humanity that are uh, put aside and maybe some new, in that sense, integral culture can also come from that. And just... Thomas? Yes. Just one, can I say one more thing? It, sure. it relates beautifully to that. And, and I find it important to say, uh, because this is exactly, when we talk about healing the collective, I think we heal the collective wound and aspects of the collective wound we talked about. If that were healed, I am sure that we couldn't play on the feelings and the emotions and the hidden shadowy aspects of humanity. We just couldn't play on that. Mm -hmm. But coming back to Hungary, because we talked a lot about Hungary, I remember, and maybe I told you that, I remember a few years ago I went to an Arnold Minder workshop in Warsaw, And there in the workshop, I made a statement, what, whichever it was, which I personally thought, there's nothing hurtful about that. It was a simple statement. Well, the statement said that for a thousand years, Poland and Hungary were bordering countries. And now we have Slovakia in between, but that's all right for me. But this sentence, somehow the way I put it, hurt young, beautiful Slovakians in their 20s, mm -hmm. absolutely conscious, aware, would-be psychologists, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so there is, there is a reason why I say that. And they come up to me after that, and they say that I hurt them so much. I almost collapsed, and I said, how come? What did I do wrong? And they said, the way you said it put us or triggered something in us. I said, what is it? And they looked at me and they said, because us as a Slovak, I'm talking about the collective again, mm -hmm. us as a Slovak, we always feel inferior towards the Hungarians. The reason why I said that, because we often talk about Western Europe, you know, and the rest of the world. And, and I also felt many, many times inferior to many of the people and, and situations in Western Europe. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up to me, you know, and expresses something similar. And this is where I think we really need to look into many of the possibilities of opening the space for the national soul to be expressed mm -hmm. just the way it is. And it won't be easy, actually. I, I, mm -hmm. Well, it depends how clever we are. But uh, probably we cannot stop it. So if we don't create the space, it will just, we are sitting on the edge of volcano, as Jung says, and it, it might erupt. That's probably true. Akoto, thank you very much. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Thomas. And also, thank you for everyone who is listening and a good evening here from Frankfurt, Germany.